In her newest anthology, award-winning travel journalist Jana Graber shares powerful stories about the internal and external journeys that travel inspires. I think the story of how one person can turn you on to world travel just by saying, you know what, you can do this, and there's this great big world out there. Bertram Van Munster is the co-creator of the multi-Emmy award-winning CBS reality show, The Amazing Race. After dozens of seasons, Bertram has perfected his method for selecting countries and identifying challenges for contestants. I look around for really odd things that you could not find on the Internet. And I start traveling around, and that's where I get the ideas for the challenges. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has initiated four trusted traveler programs and will explore the three programs for international travelers with Steve Rutlinger. We'll meet adventurous women, run the amazing race, and learn about Homeland Security's Trusted Traveler Program just ahead on World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Later in the hour, we'll get the 411 from Steve Renlinger with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security on the three trusted traveler programs for international travelers. Also coming up on World Footprints, we will run the amazing race with co-creator Bertram Van Munster. The multi-award winning CBS show was created as part of a bet and has remained a favorite among viewers much longer than Bertram expected. Bertram shares his travel secrets and he'll give us a glimpse behind the scenes just ahead. We will also hear about Central Florida and Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the hour ahead. But first, it took one trip during college for the travel book to bite Janet Graber. That first experience of traveling abroad inspired an award-winning writing career, television appearances, and countless travel experiences that Jana could only dream of. Jana has written for more than 40 publications and three books. Her latest, A Pink Suitcase, was produced in recognition of the transformative power of travel in the lives of 22 women as they explored the world and life. is your third book. Is that correct? It is. It's the latest book in the World Traveler series, and I'm so excited about it. This book has a women's perspective on travel and just thrilled with the unique pieces that we were able to include. Now, what was your inspiration to create this anthology, and how is it different from the other two that you've created? Well, you know, I have a lot of friends who are avid travelers who are women. Some of them really like to travel on their own. I've always kind of admired them and just their unique take on travel. And so just having listened to some of their stories that they come back with, I thought this would be a great collection if we could, you know, just include some women who love to travel from around the world and put them all together in a great collection, I I thought it would be a really fun read. Now, how did you find the 22 women who share their stories that make up a pink suitcase? Well, a couple of different places 
in this era of social media, there's groups that love travel and there's groups that love writing. And I just put the word out there to both of those groups. Women who love to travel, do you have a story that you think we should hear? And so some of the writers in the book are not professional writers in that they don't do it full time. They have other jobs. One was a teacher. One is um, in the tech world. But they are fantastic writers and great storytellers. Others are uh, writers who love travel. And so we got almost 400 different submissions, if you can believe, and a lot of, you know, reading and received a lot more stories than we could ever use. But I'm really thrilled with the 22 that ended up in the book. Now, what do you think makes the women's perspective uh, uh different perhaps than, let's say, a male perspective on a travel? What were some of the nuanced things that perhaps uh, you were able to touch on in, in, in terms of looking at things through a woman's eyes versus how men look at the world of travel? Sure, sure. Well, I think, you know, this is a very general statement. It doesn't apply to everyone, but often women we put more emphasis on relationships and relations and, and communicating. And so that tendency can translate um, to how we travel. So many times there was people that we were encountered by some of the travelers and writers in our book that maybe ended up with a deeper relationship or friendship than would usually occur. So sometimes just that ability to connect on a very human level is something that I think that women have uh, strengthened. Uh, you know, another difference is some of the stories in the book are about traveling as a mom and a mother. So one of the stories is a woman who adopted a girl from China, and she just really wants to give some of that heritage that was lost to her daughter back. So they embark on a journey through the Chinese countryside hoping to just uncover some piece of information about her daughter's heritage. And so that's a very, really unique angle. Traveling as a mom just puts it different. You're, you're also concerned about your child at the same time as you're traveling. I think that is kind of unique. Well, you know, I was thinking of a couple of things when you were talking uh, first about how women connect and how relationships are built, and we can see that just between the three of us, you know, when we met uh, traveling <laughs> yeah. and how that relationship has has grown. I'm just really curious, Jana, when you said you received 400 submissions, what was the criteria? I mean, what went into the selection process and, and what appealed to you about the 22 stories that actually appear in a pink suitcase? Well, first and foremost, it has to be good storytelling. You know, we sometimes in travel writing, there's a tendency to have what I did on my summer vacation types of writing, and nobody really wants to read that. So just really strong storytelling did it capture our interest from the very beginning and then you know rather than just talking only about the travel experience was there an internal experience as well that enriched the travel experience and for many of these women that there was an internal journey going on at the same time as the external journey and that makes for really 
rich storytelling, I think. Yeah, and I noticed a couple of stories in your your book. One of my favorites, well, I mean, there were a couple of favorites. It's hard to say I have a favorite, but one that involved overcoming loss and having Mm -hmm. lost my father just a few years ago. I know the role that travel Mm -hmm. played in my life in that recovery process. And, you know, and I think that was one of the most powerful things that... I, I felt about your book, just this powerful internal life journeys, as, as you described. This is World Footprints Radio. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Tanya and I are talking to award-winning journalist Jana Graber about her third travel anthology, A Pink Suitcase. To learn more about Jana Graber and view her books, visit this show page on our website, worldfootprints.com. Is there a story that resonated with you? Mostly, I'm not asking you to pick your favorite child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, just kind of piggybacking on what you were just talking about, using travel as a means to help heal. And one of the stories is from a writer who had recently married and had only been married a year and then tragically lost her new husband. And, you know, she was at that stage where you're like, God, how do I get out of bed in the morning? You know, just so overcome with that loss. And some friends just reached out and said, you know what, just come along with us. We're going to Australia. We're going to go to the Outback. And so she decided, what the heck? And, and she went. And her story is just how she began to realize that, yes, someday she would smile again. And In fact, you know, the people that she met in the Outback helped her smile again and just Mm -hmm. begin that healing process. So people that she had never crossed paths with and in a strange location, foreign land, really became instrumental in helping her move ahead in her own life. So that, you know, what a great story. And and the characters that she meets in the Outback, you can't help but smile yourself when she's (laughs) talking about them. Um, So... You know, that's just one example of that. And, and that that's also demonstrates the power of the sisterhood. I mean, there is a lot of strength from <laughs> female relationships. I mean, really, there there Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And, and one of the other stories that really kind of touched me, it's a very simple story, but um, resonates, is a woman was traveling alone in Spain and ended up sitting next to a nun mm-hmm. um, from Spain. And they just got to talking and... And she was at an interesting point in her life, and the woman just listened, and then she invited her to come see where she lived. And so, anyway, they they spent an afternoon just chatting, as as women will do. And and then 10 years later, the woman goes back to Spain, and she thought, you know, I wonder if she's still in that same place. And she went back, and and sure enough, they, they caught up in an afternoon again together, Oh my goodness! Talking and very, very fun friendship. You know, it's it's uh, just a one or two days in your life, but yet um, connection mm-hmm. formed that meant something. So um, you know, lots of fun stories like that. Now, Jana, if there were a twenty-third story in this book, <laughs> and it were your story, what what would you be sharing? Oh wow! I traveled with a friend who was. In fact, I talk about her in the introduction of the book. 
the one person that kind of dragged me into world travel. I grew up in Colorado, didn't even ever think about the rest of the world, and had a college roommate that just talked about Europe constantly and then dragged me over there when I was 19. And I think the story of how one person can turn you on to world travel just by saying, you know what, you can do this. And there's this great big world out there. And um, so she ended up dragging me to Europe that first, I think we were sophomores or uh, juniors in college, and that changed my entire life. I ended up moving to Austria to go to school there, and, and here I am now writing about travel many, many years later still. So just how one trip can kind of light the fire and open your eyes to what a great big world actually is out there. Mm-hmm. I was smiling as you were talking because I recalled also you talked about your daughter and when she came home and said, oh, mom, I'm going to go, you know, to place X, Y, and Z, and you felt that lump in your throat and you really empathized with your parents. (laughs) I did, you know, and and, uh, it's one thing when you're 20 years old and you have, you know, you're the one jaunting off across the world. It's another thing when it's you're the mom and it's your daughter sitting there saying, you know, mom, she ended up going to uh, Europe for a semester and then to Israel for a semester. And, you know, I was so excited in that I had always wanted my children to be open to what the world has to offer. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of scary when you're parents uh, <laughs> shipping them off on an airplane. <laughs> I bet. It was a great experience. I, I would love uh, perhaps in your next book to hear her story <laughs> and how that first yeah. trip impacted her. Totally. Travel is very powerful, and and it's Mm. very transformative. What has been, uh, since the trip to Europe, your first trip, the most transformative experience you've had? You know, there's been, like, adventure trips where I pushed myself physically, and I did things that were, you know, maybe scary, like um, swimming with beluga whales near the Arctic. You know, um, that's pushing myself physically, and that was, I think that whenever we accomplish something like that, it it does something for us emotionally, and it's really strong, um, but one of the very most transformative trips I ever did is I went to do a three-week study trip in East Berlin right before the wall fell, and um, now that I realize that, you know, an American kid in East Germany that's kind of crazy, but wow, just the ability to see East Germany at, before everything began to change. And yeah. then going back, I try to go back every couple of years. I was just there and just seeing, standing in Alexanderplatz where I remember soldiers with guns and weapons and gray and cold and seeing this vibrant city full of life that is always so moving to me Mm -hmm. and that gives me hope you know you know what people can change and so can countries you know former enemies can become friends and that's always i think uh, hopeful and and that means a lot to me yes what do you hope jana that a reader will experience in the pages of your your new book a pink suitcase you know, I hope that it gives women the courage to step out and say, you know, I've always dreamed of seeing the fjords in Norway. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to figure out a way to go. And just to realize our lives often take place in the same city and the same everything, you know, that we're used to. But sometimes you can find great joy and growth if you just push yourself a little bit. And maybe it's not going to Norway, but maybe it's going horseback riding two hours away at, you know, a ranch that you were always wanted to visit, but you never did, you know. So it's just realizing that, you know, instead of just sitting around wishing and thinking, oh, I'd always like to, well, do it, you know. You can do it. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I hope they take away from it. Jana, in our closing moments here, how would a male reader like myself benefit from from reading this book? Well, you know, I, it's not so focused on uh, a female point of view that the story is still not engaging and still not entertaining. And, um, you know, it, it's themed for women, but the stories resonate with anyone, young, old, male, female. It's good storytelling. It's um, engaging locations. And, um, you know, that was the idea behind our whole series. As I said, this is the third in um, the series. The first one is called Chance Encounters, Travel Tales from Around the World. And that is basically how the people that we meet when we travel can change our journey or can change our life. So that book is all about those kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. And then the second book is called Adventures of a Lifetime. And, you know, you can imagine they're just a huge range of stories that were just that, Adventures of a Lifetime. So this continues in the same theme, good storytelling, stories that take you there. Yes, and and as we say, travel is universal. So, Jana Graber, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints and for sharing these wonderful stories with us. Thank you both. It's such a pleasure talking with you. A Pink Suitcase, 22 Women's Travel Tales is available online through Amazon and Barnes & Noble. To read more about A Pink Suitcase, visit janagraber.com. In this destination quick hit, let's head to Central Florida to chat with Kelly Road about the attractions that visitors can find between Orlando and Tampa Bay. Kelly, I I know that Central Florida, i.e. the heart of Florida, also has a safari wilderness ranch. And I want to ask you, is this a private zoo? And with some of the controversy around private zoos and, you know, certainly with Cecil, is what type of safari ranch is this? This is basically an agritourism venture. No lions, no tigers. Most of the animals are either not scary animals, it's hoofstock animals, you know, water buffalo, wildebeest. They have pot-bellied pigs and ostriches and zebras and things like that. You go out on a canopied safari vehicle, you tour the plains, they have protein pellets that the animals that supplements their diet certain times of the year, so you, you can feed those to the animals off the truck. So, so when that truck comes out onto the safari plains, the animals come like it's their food truck. They know there's snacks over there. It's just a really cool place. They have an area where you can feed lemurs, which is the coolest experience ever. You come out and feed them little grape, like break up grapes for them. They also do a tour by camel. You can take the same safari tour on a camel instead of in the vehicle. So that's kind of a neat experience. It's about a two-hour safari. In addition to that, we have a place called Westgate River Ranch Resort, 
which is a dude ranch, basically. It's one of the, they tout themselves as the largest dude ranch east of the Mississippi. They have a sanctioned Saturday night rodeo out there, so every Saturday night, rain or shine, you can go out and watch a sanctioned rodeo. It's actual cowboys that pay to compete to be in it. It's not actors performing for you. It's actual competitors that have paid a fee to register and enter to compete. It's very patriotic. Everything's rah-rah USA. They come out with flags, circle the arena before, you know, before the whole thing gets going. So it's, it's very patriotic and fun. It's great family fun. The multi-award-winning CBS reality show, The Amazing Race, has been entertaining audiences since 2001. The show was created by partners Elise Doganeri and Bertram von Munster as part of a bet. Viewers have traveled around the world vicariously through the teams that are racing for the $1 million grand prize. Co-creator Bertram von Munster joined us a few seasons ago to share his travel experiences and give us a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the making of The Amazing Race. The Amazing Race, I tell you, is the show to watch in the Fitzpatrick household, and uh, both Ian and I are very zealous about our, our race watching. We will not answer the telephone. We will not answer the door. My family knows not to call during <laughs> that time. But one of the things that I really love about the show, apart from its general appeal, I love how the show was conceived. The concept was created out of a wager, I think, you made with your partner and co-creator, Elise. Yes, exactly. So uh, Share a little bit of that story with us. No, it was, it was, it was a really interesting. I just came back from, uh, from MIPCOM in the south of France, which is where the international... Uh, t- uh, sales uh, takes place for all uh, television programming out of America and worldwide. And I came back and, um, and Elisa asked me, she said, anything good there? I said, well, you know, kind of the same. And this is like nine, eight or nine years ago now. They're kind of the same. She says, ah, oh, you guys in television, terrible ideas. I said, oh, yeah, really? I gave my whole <laughs> life to, to this business. You tell me we're all terrible. I said, since, you have, since you're so smart, give me a great idea. And I give you five minutes. And three minutes later, she came back with this basic concept of the amazing race. Uh, teams that know each other very well uh, have a pre-existing relationship uh, travel around the world with all modes of transportation all kinds of challenges and the first team that makes it back to the United States gets the proverbial million dollars (laughs) I said that's not a bad idea let me call my agent and, and 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 the rest is history, as they say. The rest is history. And and I think part of that, you know, why she came up with that concept too, is that she was on a, a post college trip with with a, with a friend, and 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 I've been there, done that with my travel buddy before my husband, yeah. a friend that I met when I was in law school in China, and we spent five weeks backpacking through through Asia. Yeah. How many countries have you visited since? 2001 when when race first premiered you know i cannot i I really don't know i haven't kept track of it but it's probably at least between 80 and 110 my god somewhere in there yeah i mean we've you just i just go down the map of of latin america central south america africa uh, asia uh into russia the stands uh you name it we've been there Mm. And and I know you know the the show has really grown. My goodness! Now, how do you vet the locations for your show, and and do you kind of coordinate 
at least for the U.S. show, do you coordinate the travel logistics with U.S. government officials like the State Department? Or Some of it. Uh, here's, here's what I do. I, I, usually I go to relatively safe places, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but overall I would say the world is a safe place. That, mm-hmm. that, that has a, you know. But um, what I do is I lay it out in such a way, or Elise and I very often we work together, there has to be a logical and there has to be a logistical uh, logic to it and there has to be a financial logic to this whole thing and there has to be a creative logic. So these three elements we work on very, very closely together and we lay this out. That's the basis. And when that's done, then I usually go on the road and I start driving around and looking around. Yeah, it's a hell of a nice job, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and I start looking around for really odd things that you could not find on the Internet. And I start traveling around and that's where I get the ideas for the challenges. Mm-hmm. And then and uh, I lay out the challenges, and we don't let anybody near these challenges. I mean, it's going to be us, and that's it. And these the challenges that we – of course, first of all, it's a major challenge to travel around the world, not knowing where you're going from, from city to city. Right. But these challenges, we lay out the, the entire project and present it then to my good friends at CBS, and we develop from that moment on further. And then we go on the road. I show the rest of my executives exactly what I have in mind, how I want to do this thing. And they put everything in place, and the third or the fourth time we go around the world with the contestants. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. We're talking to Bertram von Munster about travel and the making of his hit television series, The Amazing Race. One of the things that I love about the the destinations you travel to or the show travels to is even the domestic destinations, you you tend to feature... Areas and and attractions that are that are lesser well known, and, and you tend to showcase a different side of of various cultures. Well, I do it on purpose. I mean, obviously, in Africa, people carry everything on their head. I would mm. say eighty percent of the people. So, <laughs> you know, that's what we're going to be doing. But on the other hand, I also like to go to to Robben Island to visit. Uh, the cell where Nelson Mandela spent 18 years of his life, yes. which I think is very important. And we went to Auschwitz and lit candles, uh, you know, on the, on, on the tracks leading into Auschwitz. We did not go on the property itself mm-hmm. because I think that would have been inappropriate. But I think uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things, a lot of elements where I say, you look, we can have a lot of fun with the television show and it all has to be entertaining. But we also have to be look at the serious side of life and we need to go to these places and, and pay some uh, some attention and, and homage to 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 the suffering of, uh, of millions of people. So that's why we went to the door of no return in Senegal, you know, where mm-hmm. the Clintons stood there. I went there again. We did not go through the door for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody knows these things, but for me personally, it's, it, it, it has to be meaningful also what we're doing. You know, we can have fun and, and, and yell at each other, but we all, it also has really, really have meaning. And yeah, you know, and that's another thing. I mean, there's so many things that I love about the show. You know, the, the broad appeal. It appeals to the armchair traveler. It appeals to the adventure traveler. Even just the you know general regular travel enthusiast. A lot of people underestimate really what it, what it, um, a lot of the contestants say. Well, this I can win this race. <laughs> this is a piece of cake. But the reality is, you see it 44 minutes a week on a mm-hmm. Sunday evening. But the, the reality is that these guys are running around seven days a week, week after week, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know? 
So that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an exhausting excursion, and it's an, every day it's a new country and a new language and new, a new food barriers, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's all of that, and we have created this on purpose, of course. So by the time they come back, they, stay, they sit down on their own couch at home and they say, what just happened to me in my life? Did I have this crazy nightmare or a dream or what was this? Because we do it so fast that they don't really realize what they have to deal with or what, they, what, they, what their psychological impact is going to be down the road. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's funny. It's comical to watch to watch the teams go through, you know, week after week after week, and tempers rise. And I know just doing a backpacking trip and some of the the, the travel that that Ian and I have done, how exhausting it is. So I can't, I can only totally imagine. Yeah, but but I will tell you that we do study the show in anticipation, maybe one day of trying out. <laughs> And we've already, you know, identified uh, what role he'd play. He'd be the map reader. I'd be the the driver. And the, I I eat anything under the sun, so the food challenges are mine. But uh, I, I know, I mean, it it, it is uh, amazingly challenging. Yeah, it is. I often say that travel offers the best education in the world. In, in I think so. I think so. I mean, it, I mean, as a filmmaker, I've traveled the world my whole life. Mm. Uh, which is now very long, and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> you're only 24, right? And, uh, there's another place I haven't been to except for North Korea. I put my foot in North Korea when they didn't look, huh. and uh, I haven't been to Tibet. But uh, I mean, these are the you know I've been everywhere: North Pole, South Pole, you name it, everything in between, mm-hmm. uh, for professional reasons. And uh, it makes you a very, very tolerant person when you look at other, other religions and other uh, habits and other everything. And I think we're in, we're in, you know we are a tolerant nation, but I think we're not tolerant enough. Right. We got to be tolerant and we got maybe we have to be a little more respectful of other people that uh, do not have the same opportunities that we have. Amen. Amen. And and that's one of the core values of our show is a mission to promote cross-cultural understanding and global citizenship. And so another reason, I mean there's there's strong correlations I think between uh what our shows uh try to to accomplish. We have more of our interview with amazing race creator and executive producer Bertram Van Munster just ahead on World Footprints Radio. We also have a link to more information about the amazing race on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Just ahead, we'll continue our best-of series interview with the Amazing Race co-creator, Bertram Van Munster. We will also get the 411 on Homeland Security's Trusted Traveler programs, and we'll get a taste of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If you want more travel experiences beyond this radio show, visit our website, worldfootprints.com. The Amazing Race has visited 85 countries in its 350-plus episodes, and with all the travel planning that Bertram does, he's found a way to travel smarter. What would you consider to be maybe one of the most exotic cultures uh, The Amazing Race has featured? I think uh, every every culture has its own major charms, and it sounds almost like a platitude. But mm. you know, for, for me, fascinating country, a fascinating country is India. I think it's fabulous. Uh, I think I think Russia is a fascinating place. 
very misunderstood by us in many cases. I think Latin America has many, many wonderful things. I mean, if you go to, to Chile, to northern Chile, for instance, uh, which, which is a complete desert, it's mm-hmm. a phenomenally beautiful desert with salt flats and what have you, mm-hmm. uh, gorgeous place, and we're going across the, the Andes from Santiago de Chile into Mendoza, into Argentina, it's phenomenally beautiful with all kinds of phenomenal people and Indians and what have you. It, it is, it's, it's extra, the world is an amazing place, and that we're messing with it so dangerously, it's just, it's just beyond me, because the next place over, we've got to go in a special suit, and when you get there, there's a, there's a bunch of sand there, and there's no lakes, no sharks, no forests, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So I think we should be a little more careful with what we got here. We've got a unique place happening. You know, when people ask me, what's your favorite country to visit, I usually say, well, the world is my favorite country. Right. <laughs> um, but is there is there a place in the world that your show has visited that you would actually personally travel back to for your own leisure time? Well, there's a couple of places that I like very much. As I mentioned before, I like uh, Chile very much, northern mm-hmm. Chile and southern Chile, and all the way down to uh, to Punta Arenas, and then cross over to Ushuaia into Argentina. That's beautiful. And one of the spectacular trips is if you want to drive a car across the Andes is from Santiago de Chile in, in San down in South America, over the uh, over the Andes Mountains into uh, Mendoza, where the wine, uh, where the um, Argentinian wine country is. That's mm. a phenomenally beautiful area. It's a very safe area. People drive safe. Stuff is in good order. The roads are in good shape, and it is just extraordinarily beautiful. The other place I like very much to go to is Sicily. Sicily is also a very very beautiful place uh, with very nice people. And whatever they do down there, stay out of it, because I'm sure it's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it is a beautiful place. I could recommend it to anybody. It's still one of those... For me, it's one of these uncovered, undiscovered places. I like India. I like southern India. Uh, the Kerala province, Cochin, was uh, Dutch. The settlers were there, you know, in the 1600s, 1700s, you know, on the uh, on their trips around the world. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful place. Safe place also. Uh, I think Moscow, St. Petersburg is fantastic. Oh, I agree with Moscow that. Moscow is a phenomenal city now. It's booming and it's fun and it's great restaurants. And yes, it's tied to the euro in many ways. And it's kind of expensive, but you know it's definitely uh, definitely worth a trip with. And people are wonderful there. I think it's one of the few countries where people still bring you to the airport and they cry when you leave. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, Japan is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alaska is fantastic. Uh, you know, America itself has a lot to offer. Also, Africa. There's a couple of places left where you can safely go to. <laughs> and Morocco is, of course. Fantastic. Uh, Namibia is a beautiful place. Mm. Botswana is gorgeous. Tanzania in, uh, in the East Coast, uh, in East Africa, is, is a beautiful place and very safe with wonderful people. So essentially, you're like me. Every country is a country that you <laughs> you go for your own leisure time, pretty much. Well, I, w- I would if I had the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to Bertram von Munster about his multi-award-winning show, The Amazing Race. I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the great things about the show and one of the things that, that, that we've come to admire is the sensitivity to local culture, but that culture and the teams often sometimes 
clash and uh, come into conflict. And and I often wonder, do uh, you really look at at situations, I guess, to kind of reveal character, whether it's good or bad, or uh, do you look at putting the challenges in or, and or the roadblocks there in order to see how people respond? What's kind of the thinking? It's a little bit of everything. You know, there's a humorous aspect to it. And also sometimes it is not so humorous. I mean, people reveal themselves in in ways that can be ugly, but uh, I see it almost like as a defense mechanism, a very primitive defense mechanism. You know, criticizing other people, you know, makes you feel better about yourself, maybe for about four minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. But overall, you know, it, a lot of these contestants are absolutely fearless doing these challenges and diving into these foreign cultures. But the idea is really that they that they have to deal with it, and and, and that they have to become part of these part of that uh, of that culture for that moment or for a couple of hours or for a day. You know, we 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 had a, we shot a, a show in Burkina Faso, um, in uh, in uh, in, the, in the Sahel area of the Sahara, mm-hmm. and we had a train. I knew there was a train that goes once a day. It goes from from a city called Ouagadougou, which you no know, most people can't pronounce, to another city called Bobo Dioulasso near the, the the border of the Northern Ivory Coast. And that train goes through absolutely nowhere. And I had them get on that train, and then that train stops in, because I had that experience myself many years ago, the train stops in the middle of nowhere, and then one person gets off in the middle of nowhere and starts hiking into wherever they're hiking to, and that's where they live. So I wanted to have that same experience, and really off the wall. And the train stops, they got to get off the train, and they got to find these camel traders. So I like to really create something where they feel that they're part of this, of this community, and it's a completely alien atmosphere for them. Have you seen people change throughout the course of the race and 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 throughout their experiences you know the different cultures being exposed to to different absolutely cultures. i mean it, i mean we always tell them you know this is a life-changing experience and most people will agree with me it's a life-changing experience you look at the world very different when you come back from a trip like this you will also look at yourself differently mm-hmm. um uh, people have always been super, super enthusiastic. We had only one team once that said, oh, my God, we have to stay here in Paris. That's horrible. That's just awful. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, well. I was kind of taken back by that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a little bit gobsmacked right now. I, mean, I wasn't expecting that. How How has the show shaped your view of the world? As long as you have respect, you respect other people and other cultures and everything, there's no trouble. Mm-hmm. I go anywhere in the world, anytime. I'm absolutely not afraid for anything. You know, there's some places you got, you know, if you're obvious, if you're, if you're dumb, yeah, you can get kidnapped. Yeah, it's possible. You got to be really dumb, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, or you have to be have such a high profile that you obviously have to be careful. But overall, you can travel anywhere safely in the world except for a couple of spots, you know, that you don't want to go to. Right. Or, that the, or, the, or that the United States government would advise you not to go to, and I would follow that advice mm-hmm. by all means. But uh, I feel safe. I feel fine. Uh, no problem. Uh, shake hands with everybody. I got permits all over the world. Uh, people are friendly to me. Uh, no hassle mm-hmm. whatsoever. Are you ready to run the amazing race? There's a game board and video games to help you practice. If you want to jump right in, we have a link to the application page for The Amazing Race on this show page at worldfootprints.com.
In this destination quick hit, we'll visit Baton Rouge, Louisiana with Christy Shashery. My name is Christy Sashery. I'm the communications coordinator with Visit Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is a little northwest of New Orleans, just an hour straight down the interstate. We are the state capital. What is, what is Baton Rouge best known for? A lot of it is food, music, and LSU. LSU is Louisiana State University, and we're a big SEC school, which is Southeastern Conference. That draws a lot of people, but on top of that is our food. If you know you're going anywhere in Louisiana, you're coming for great food. Right. We're somewhere in between the Creole and the Cajun. So Lafayette's more Cajun, New Orleans is more Creole. So a lot of our chefs are infusing their dishes to kind of cover the gamut of Creole and Cajun. Mm-hmm. We've got a cool mix. And what about your architecture? Because I know, you know, cities like New Orleans, maybe it's influenced, it's been influenced by uh, many international French, right. right. So we have a little bit of a mixture of that. You'll see some places that start doing the more Spanish feel that mm-hmm. might look like the French Quarter. And where you can see it the most is in balconies. So the way they have their ironworks, which is really neat around the city. As for architecture, we are, our downtown is a lot of old historic buildings. We have the old state capitol that looks like literally a castle on the Mississippi River, and that's what they call it. And then we've got the old governor's mansion, which is actually a smaller replica of the White House. So we've got so many different kinds and styles of architecture. You know, speaking of all of that, our downtown has been revitalized, and all these historic buildings aren't being torn down, but just renovated. Department of Homeland Security has four different trusted traveler programs, each with specific benefits depending on your travel needs. Steve Redlinger from Homeland Security joins us to explain the three programs that Customs and Border Protection manages for international travelers. There are four trusted traveler programs. The Department of Homeland Security through Customs and Border Protection oversees three of the four, including Global Entry, Nexus, and Century. Let's talk about these one at a time. What's the Global Entry Program? Global Entry is uh, U.S. Customs and Border uh, Protection's uh, program, which allows for expedited clearance for pre-approved low-risk air travelers upon arrival to the United States. And so essentially what the program does is it allows U.S. citizens, permanent residents, and certain citizens from other countries, and we'll get into those countries in a minute, it allows them the opportunity to apply for Global Entry. And upon pre-approval and the payment of a $100 fee, you go in and you do a, an interview with a CBP officer, and upon final approval, you become a full-fledged member for global entry. And upon entry into the United States from international travel, you have access to electronic kiosks, which uh, provide for a, a much more swift and easier transit through through the customs process. And so you, uh, you have your global entry number and your passport. 
you enter in your information into these global entry kiosks. At the end, you'll get a receipt. Take that receipt to a CBP officer who will accept it. And, and you're off to either get your luggage or if you don't have any luggage, if you're carrying on, straight out, uh, straight out the door and on with, uh, with your day. Now, Steve, I know a number of gateways have these kiosks which seem to be there where you take a picture and, and all of that and uh, you're given some sort of triage as to where you should go. Is that part of global entry or is that just so, something that's accessible to everyone, whether they're in the so global entry So that's an program? outstanding observation. And so that those are uh, automated passport control kiosks. And so... The first program to be developed was, was the Global Entry Program, and, and later on we developed these automated passport control kiosks, and they're available at several, most of our major gateway airports around the country, and they allow travelers, uh, for the most part U.S. citizens, in some instances uh, residents of Canada, in other instances some cities accept travelers traveling from visa waiver program countries, but uh, essentially, you know, if you go through the traditional customs process when you're uh, especially on the immigration side, you know, you have to wait in line and, 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 and meet with the officer. What the kiosks really do is they take all of that, all that information that you're giving to the officer after you wait in line, and they're putting that power into your hands to enter it into the, uh, into the system, and you'll get a, a readout. And so what we found is that it just saves a lot of time in the queuing and the officer's time. So now instead of in the traditional sense where the officer was taking all of your information, entering it into a computer, you know, there's a lot of administrative tasks associated with, with processing someone in the United States. Now all that's being done on the kiosk and it's saving a tremendous amount of time to where now you get your receipt, you go see your officer, and now the officer doesn't have to do all that administrative work. He can simply do really what his job is, which is to verify your identity. If he feels like he needs to ask you some questions about, you know, why are you here, what are you doing, things of that nature, and it's just a much quicker experience. And so we're able to, to, to shave a lot of time off the average traveler's wait when they were traditionally waiting in line for an officer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as attorneys, we appreciate those time-saving uh, uh, opportunities. <laughs> no, absolutely, but, uh, but, but, but certainly in conjunction with, with global entry and APC right. kiosks, and now we actually have a the next step, if you will, is this, this thing that we're calling mobile passport control, which is a, hmm. a mobile passport a mobile phone application, actually, that instead of doing all entering all the information into the APC kiosk that I just mentioned, you can actually do that on a smartphone. Wow. So we've got uh, a limited trial with this new mobile passport control at just a handful of airports across the country right now. Like I said, it's kind of we're kind of in that testing phase, mm-hmm. but uh, we're seeing some promising results, and so we're looking forward to that. And so, you know, really, where where CBP has done such a great job is is in innovation, and so. President Obama's made, you know, you know, national travel and tourism strategy, making the the process of entering into the United States for for not just U.S. citizens but for our foreign visitors easier, you know, more customer focused, and, and more of a quick process. And CBP has supported that strategy. So, in 2014, more than 107 million international travelers arrived at U.S. airports, which was an increase of 4.7 percent from 2013. And so, what these programs have really done is they've allowed us to actually shrink wait times in an era of mostly stagnant or flat funding levels and staffing levels. I wanted to circle back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, and and that is about some of the countries that have been added to the global entry program. I know the U.K. has recently been added. At least I I read that. I thought. No, absolutely. That was an exciting announcement from this week. So global entry is available to, obviously, U.S. citizens, U.S. lawful permanent residents, Mexican nationals, 
Citizens of Germany, the Netherlands, Panama, and South Korea. Uh, Canadian citizens and residents can use Global Entry Kiosk through their memberships with the Nexus program, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. And then just this week, CBP Commissioner Kurlikowski was in London, and they made the announcement for the expansion of our Global Entry program to UK citizens. And we had had a limited pilot program with citizens of the UK that, that – uh, uh, that capped at a very low number, the number of citizens that could apply for uh, UK citizens that could apply for global entry. So now we've rolled that that pilot program, which was a success, into a permanent program now, and we've removed the caps. Mm-hmm. So it's a very exciting announcement, especially for frequent travelers between the UK and and the United States. Not just for UK citizens, but also for for US citizens, because they now also have the option of registering for for the UK's global entry like program, their trusted traveler program for expedited entry into the UK when when U.S. citizens are traveling to that country. This is World Footprints Radio with Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're learning about the benefits of the various U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Trusted Traveler programs. Now, speaking of the Nexus program, tell us what the Nexus program is. So Nexus is it's very similar to Global Entry, except it's you know it's it's for those travelers that are traveling along the northern border, so between the United States and Canada. So what it allows is expedited processing at airports and land borders when entering the U.S. and Canada. So it includes that traditional Global Entry benefit through the air, but but you also get that expedited travel lane at many land crossings between the United States and Canada kind of a dual a dual home run if you will there. It also includes and I should say for global entry nexus and century all of those programs include membership in TSA precheck. So TSA precheck as you know is our expedited program that gives pre-enrolled members enrollment to expedited screening lanes at US airports when you're arriving for checkpoints. So a lot of great benefits with nexus. And what about the Century program, Steve? That's one you you just mentioned, and I think the third program that's overseen by uh, Customs and Border Protection. Absolutely. So uh, similar to to Nexus, provides expedited processing through CBP at land borders, Uh, includes the benefit for global entry and TSA pre-check, like I mentioned, and it is for for crossing the southern border with Mexico. So Century is for folks crossing land borders around the southern border, and a nexus for frequent travelers around the uh, along the northern border. Hmm, okay. So should travelers apply for all three of these programs in order to be able to travel under one umbrella of a trusted traveler? What I usually recommend to people if you're traveling internationally, global entry is a great program for you. And because it includes again the benefits for TSA pre-check, so that domestic when you're flying domestically and you got to get through airport security it provides that expedited uh, screening benefit there, provides the expedited entry within the United States. We have several partner programs, like I mentioned with the UK and with the other countries that I mentioned with Global Entry, where you could potentially have they'll have reciprocal programs that you can register for entry into that country. So if you're a frequent business traveler to the UK, as like I mentioned. It would be beneficial to enter that program. You know, certainly for Nexus and Century, if you're traveling across the northern and the southern border on a frequent basis, those are programs that I would look into. There are a couple of, of things that I should mention, though. So the cost of the program, we do not make a, you know, CBP and DHS do not make profits off these programs. We simply charge what we've determined to be our costs of administering the program. 
And so since these programs are different sizes and different, there's slight differences in, in, in the management of the programs, they're different costs. So uh, for Nexus, it's five-year, well, they're all five-year memberships. Global mm-hmm. entry costs $100 for five years. The Nexus program costs $50 for a five-year membership, and the, the Century program costs $122.25 for a five-year membership. So again, just based on what travelers need to do, I'll give you an example of my father. My father used to used to work in or used to live in El Paso, Texas, but his company actually had a factory across the border in Mexico. And so he would travel across the land border every day to go to work. Well, he was a member of Century, and it provided him with that expedited travel ring uh, over the land border, which made his trip just a lot easier on a daily basis. Well, that's a very important thing to mention because a lot of Americans are in border cities, whether it's Detroit or Buffalo, Washington State, and so forth. And so it sounds like those would be very valuable programs. Uh, Stephen, you had touched on the reciprocal benefit of enrolling in Global Entry, Nexus, and Century in terms of being able to participate in TSA PreCheck. Are there other reciprocal benefits that come from signing up for one of the three programs? The biggest thing is especially with global entry, if you're a frequent international traveler and if you travel a lot to the UK or you travel a lot to the Netherlands, they have trusted traveler programs that allow expedited entry into those countries. And so being a member of global entry does provide you an opportunity to um, to apply for these other countries' trusted traveler programs. So that's a great benefit. Now, Steve, real quickly, what is the application process and how long is the approval process? The basic process for all these programs is simple. Pre-enrollment online preliminary approval, which will you usually get within a, you know, a couple of days to a week, maybe two weeks at the most, and then you set up an interview at an in-person location after you get your pre-approval. Steve, as we wrap up here, just wanted to ask, are there some common misperceptions about these programs in terms of what people don't understand about these programs? One of the common misperceptions about sort of DHS in general is it's just all of the different missions that that the Homeland Security Enterprise entails. And so, you know, while both the Transportation Security Administration, or TSA, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CBP, are are components of DHS, they really are their own, you know, their own agencies. And so they have their own authorities and their own mission requirements. And so a lot of people confuse sometimes TSA PreCheck or Global Entry. They think maybe they're the same thing, and they really are two different programs. Although I think a great thing that we've been able to do is to be able to provide, you know, for Global Entry, for Nexus, and for Century members that reciprocal benefit for TSA PreCheck, which does sort of alleviate some of the confusion. With that, Steve, uh, we thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprint. Steve Rudlinger of the Department of Homeland Security, thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me. Confused about which trusted travel program to apply for? We have a chart that outlines the benefits for each program on this show page at worldfootprints.com. when we travel and meet other journalists along the way and 
develop relationships with them and you know find a way to to help them uh, like Jana uh, who we met in Israel I mean you know when we take these trips we always know we'll meet lovely people um, some we connect with some we don't and but it's always nice to uh, really assist others in their their growth and it's nice to hear how travel was transformational in Jana's life from uh, her college days to leading her into this uh, career that she's had as as a full-fledged travel journalist and different media, whether it's uh, print or television and, and so forth. So, again, someone who's actually living their passion and enjoying uh, travel and making a career from that. Yeah, and it, I think it's really interesting how travel has really changed the lives of some people and whether someone pursues a career in travel or travel journalism, um, a trip can help anyone heal. And I think that's what a few stories in Jana's book convey. Well, you know, for years, The Amazing Race has been one of my favorite shows. And I know uh, we have sat down and uh strategized about who would handle what challenge. You know, I uh, have determined to be the driver uh, because I'm a faster driver than you and I take a little bit more risk, and you're a better map reader. That would probably be a fair uh, division of labor, but the question is, will we ever get a chance to do the amazing race? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Between world footprints and our, our uh, legal jobs, you know, one one would only hope so. But you know, the amount of work that goes into the race, I think we really don't have an appreciation for what the uh, teams go through, and certainly what the production staff goes through. And you know, one of the things that um, Bertram kind of hinted to is that you know, despite all the pre-planning that the production crew does, there faced with obstacles that aren't foreseen and they have to change things last minute. Um, For example, I know in one situation during the planning of the second race, the Argentine bank system failed and it created political uh, unrest and so a new country had to be selected at the last minute and the same thing happened with the Arab Spring and the Egyptian Revolution of 2011 um, and the unfortunate assault on um, the CBS reporter Lara Logan you know they they took Egypt off the map hmm. at the at the last minute and you know and that's after months and months of planning and you heard, we heard how much he he goes through personally well yeah you know they were faced with their own kind of real life roadblocks in a sense hmm. and uh, again uh, you know these these shows are as connected to the world as uh, we are with our daily lives and so uh, they have to adjust to uh, the uh, the incidents, uh, the political incidents that make headlines as well. And so that all impacts on reality television. It actually brings a different dimension of reality to these shows. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the Trusted Traveler programs would help them with uh, some of their, their travel, particularly as they come back to the U.S. And uh, I know for us, having the TSA pre-check has been a blessing, but I am very keen to uh, apply for the global entry, and I heard it only takes a couple of weeks to process, and I think that would, because we do so much international travel, and that includes TSA pre-check, I think that is certainly a wise investment. Indeed. So as we close, 
we'd like to leave you with a quote from Henry Miller. One's destination is never a place, but a new way of seeing things. Thank you very much for traveling with us with open eyes. We're Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing our next journey with you on World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com.